This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Cave exploration continues through the efforts of volunteers and park staff. So we could go and join this group. You can spend up to four days and three nights inside the cave, exploring and mapping some of this uncharted area, which is one of the final frontiers on Earth. Have I sold you? Did you say mapping or napping? No, I'm not doing that. (laughs) I, I will be in Deadwood at the slot machines. Or I'll learn how to count cards. You, when you're done, come and find me. Okay. <laughs> this is the Dear Bob and Sue podcast. Stories from our journey to all the U.S. national parks and other public lands. I'm Matt Smith. And I'm Karen Smith. We're the authors of the Dear Bob and Sue series of books. On this episode, we're taking you to one of our favorite areas, the Black Hills of South Dakota. The Black Hills has a huge array of public lands, and one of the most remarkable is Custer State Park. From its bison herd to its recreational opportunities and scenic drives, Custer has something for every traveler. We'll also be talking about some of the charming small towns surrounding Custer, as well as other public lands that you can visit while you're there. Two national parks, two national monuments, a national memorial, and a national historic site. And we'll go over what to do, where to stay, when to go, all that good stuff. Coming up next. You know, we're almost three years into our podcast, and this is the first time that Custer and the Black Hills is getting its own special episode. It's finally risen to the top, <laughs> hasn't it? I don't know why it's taken us so long, because we have talked about this topic a lot. We have uh, a lot of different episodes where we mention it, right? We have six astounding state parks and the great american bison road trip and what were some of the others well we i I think we mentioned it in in our badlands episode Mm -hmm. and scenic drives and right so always a bridesmaid never a bride let's do a whole episode on it yes because it is absolutely one of our favorite places to visit. I'm not sure there's any area of the country that has as many national parks and national park sites and state parks. Uh, Just an incredible wealth of public lands. And thinking back, back in 2011, when we were young and naive, (laughs) we knew nothing about Custer State Park when we visited Wind Cave National Park. (laughs) Right next door. Right next door. I think we drove through the entrance and uh-huh. Saw they had some bison, and we were just amazed and bewildered. Right. And didn't even know where we were. No, we were trying to get to Badlands because we were on the only visiting national parks tour. And so after we went to um, Wind Cave, then we made a beeline for Badlands, and we missed all of this great stuff that's just around in the area. What were we thinking? I don't know. We didn't know anything. We were stupid. And, and then we wrote a book about it. It's such <laughs> The book that everyone should buy. Oh, yeah. It's great. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's right. But since then, uh, we have been back. I was trying to figure out how many times. It's been at least six. And we have taken people with us. We took Bob and Sue. And we took our friends, John and Lolly. And we've been back many times ourselves just because it's so much fun. And it's this unique combination, I think, of incredible outdoor public lands and 
this fascinating history of our country. It would set a record if you <laughs> got into the History Channel right now. No, so I'm going to hold you off. I have good news for you, Matt. This is so exciting. You always say it's good news. Uh-huh. Shouldn't I be the one who decides <laughs> it's good news or not? <laughs> okay, this episode isn't going to have just one History Channel. This is going to have History Channel sprinkled throughout because all of these sites have an incredible history. There are so many great stories. Now, granted, we're going to try to keep this in an hour, so I can't you know, go overboard with History Channel, but I think you will agree at the end. <laughs> <laughs> are you good? <laughs> Are you going to add the music every time? No. No. Okay. No, I'll spare All right. I, I, I will bet you that this will be more than an hour. There's no <laughs> way you're going to get this. We've already been jacking around here for a few minutes, and yeah. we haven't even talked about it. All right. Moving on. Yeah. So we're going to focus on what we think is the centerpiece of this area, which is Custer State Park, and also talk about some of the other things to do and see in the surrounding area, which is called the Black Hills. Yeah, it's called Black Hills because the trees are so thick, or at least that's what people thought way back when. They were so thick that the sunlight couldn't even reach the ground. They were The hills were black. They looked black, and they kind of do. Yeah, you know, the name Black Hills comes from the, the Lakota words pahasapa, which means hills that are black. But I have to say, when we climb up Black Elk Peak and we have that incredible view, it all looks really blue to me. <laughs> the Blue Hills. Are you going to rename it? I think Blue Hills is much better than Black Hills. Black Hills does not sound very inviting, but it's absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> well, you don't get to name large geographic areas. Here in our little studio. No, I don't get you to don't. do that. Okay. All right. We're going to stick with the Black Hills then. But let's start with Custer, shall we? <laughs> let's start there. Um, Custer is South Dakota's first and largest state park. It was established in 1919. And I have to say this, in my opinion, and I think you might feel the same way, Matt, but this is the most national park worthy state park we've ever visited. It it does feel uh, national park like. Yes. Uh, There are some other fantastic state parks out there. And somebody asked the other day if we would do another episode on state parks. So maybe we'll do that. But yes, this is, uh, it's got a national park feel to it. So it's 71,000 acres. And really, it's, I would say it's claim to fame is its bison herd. It has a huge public bison herd. Yeah, it's about 1,500 plus. And, and they do have to round them up every year. We'll talk about that some uh, and call the herd because, you know, the land can only support so many. So I think they're kind of keeping it to that number. Yes. Now, there is an entrance fee to get into Custer. For a one to seven day pass, it costs $20. Or if you're going to go a lot, you could get an annual pass for $36. And let me say that is money well spent. (laughs) It is. They also said on the website that the second car annual pass is $18, but there were some stipulations. And they have a really great visitor center in the northeast corner of the park. And new this year, we have gotten so many messages about this. They have a brand new bison center. Right. In May of 2022, it opened and we haven't been there no. uh, since. So we'll have to we'll have to go by and check that out. Yes, we will. Because they, I love it that they celebrate their bison. They do. They even have an uh, entire festival around their bison every year. It's the Buffalo Roundup and Art Festival. And, and the dates for 2022 uh, were last week, 929 through 10-1. Mm-hmm. We always seem to announce this right right <laughs> after it happens. So this is your heads up for next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a Thursday through Saturday thing. Over 20,000 people attend normally. Yeah. And it is a, a big festival, right? And I think there's a pancake feed. And I know that. you say that. <laughs> Do you know that there's a pancake feed or I not? I don't. Unfortunately, we have never been, even though it's been on our list, it's been in my bucket for years and years. We just always seem to have something else that crops up at that same time. Now, if you want to see Custer's bison herd, your best bet is to drive the Wildlife Loop Road. It's an 18-mile loop where you can see the bison, but you can also see some of the other wildlife that lives in the park, like pronghorn, uh, deer, elk, coyotes, and those cute little prairie dogs. Oh, yeah. Down at the southern part of the loop, that's generally where you see the bison. Mm -hmm. They hang out down there. But... We have driven through this park many, many times, and you can see these big, old, solitary males anywhere. 
because they they don't like other bison. Yeah, uh, they don't. <laughs> Hence the name solitary. We have had different levels of success seeing the bison. Uh, sometimes they're grazing in a field pretty far from the road. So we, you know, they look like dots from our car. I think there was one time we never saw any. And there's been a few times where they have been on the road and next to our car. And of course, that's the greatest thing ever when you can have a close up sighting like that. Yeah. Now they're also down there in the southern part of the wildlife loop. Then there's some corrals that they use uh, during their buffalo roundup to bring them in and do their health checks. It's in and around that area where you can also find begging burrows. And we have seen these little guys Mm -hmm. pretty close up. And and then like the bison, sometimes you can't find them at all. The reason they're called begging burrows is because people have been feeding them for decades and they come right up to the cars and up to people. And unfortunately, people are still feeding them. So just note, please don't feed any wildlife in any of the parks. That's right. So if you take this loop all the way around, On the west side, there's a place called Bluebell Lodge, and uh, it's lodge. You can stay there. There's campsites also, Um, but it's also a good place to eat. We've eaten there both for dinner and lunch. Uh, You know, if you're in and around the park, there's not a lot of uh, food options. Right. So that's a good place to eat if you're in the park and you don't want to drive like all the way to Custer or some other place. Right. They have a restaurant and they have a bar side to the restaurant where... My favorite of bar stools that <laughs> you're already shaking your head. <laughs> they have bar stools where the top is a saddle, and you, so you sit on the saddle. <laughs> the last time we were in there, they had these set off to the side because, like most people, I do not like sitting on the saddle. I know you don't. I did it one time. So I could take a so picture. So could take a picture. And I'm never doing it again. <laughs> yeah. I would like to stay at Bluebell Lodge one of these days. They have 29 cabins right across the street. We have driven through. They look darling. And they also have, they offer a chuck wagon cookout uh, where you take a hay wagon ride. There's probably singing. <laughs> you just like the words chuck wagon and, and hay ride. I do. And so I you would do, do it. And you would mm-hmm. make me do it. <laughs> After you sit on the bar stool they, again. <laughs> they, they could feed you anything as long as they call it a chuck wagon dinner. Oh, yeah. I don't care. I yeah. don't care. Yeah, I think that would be a hoot. We yeah. should We should do that. All right, so uh, in the northern part of the park, there is a scenic byway that we would strongly recommend. It's called the Peter Norbeck Scenic Byway, and it's it includes several different roads. So you have to just look at a map. You can find it online. But it includes both the Needles Highway and the Iron Mountain Road. And these are really fun places to drive, scenic, scenic roads to drive, because... They have very narrow tunnels. Yes. They're twisty. They're turny. They're switchbacks. The scenery is incredible. And they have narrow tunnels. So let's uh, let's talk about Needles Highway first. Okay. Um, it is 14 miles long. And the this road, this highway was built back in 1922. Again, so much history here. Now, along this, there are a couple of narrow tunnels. Just to give you an idea, the Iron Creek Tunnel is only nine feet wide, and the Needles Eye Tunnel is eight feet, four inches wide. When we drove it the last time, uh, we had a Ford F-150, and I had to put the mirrors in on that truck Mm -hmm. to get through. Now, they probably would have gone through anyway, but I would literally had a couple of inches of clearance. Oh yeah. So you, you got to be uh, you got to be careful and and know that if you're in an RV or some bigger vehicle, know your width because you might not be able to yeah. get through. There. You're probably not getting through. Also, this is a two lane road, so when you come to these one lane tunnels, you know you are waiting for traffic to clear on the other side. Usually, unless you happen to be the only ones there, which would be extremely lucky. So there is some waiting, there is some back and forth. But the last time we were there, what was really cool is we were waiting to get through the the Needles Tunnel, and right above on these rocks was a mountain goat just peering down. That was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. I always like seeing mountain goats. That's also one of my favorite mammals. Yes. And of course, what that did is that caused the already long, slow traffic jam to be longer because everyone wanted to see the goat. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so keep keep your eyes out in, in and around the kind of northern part of Custer State Park. Yes. You might see mountain goats. Yeah, and one of the reasons is because you'll you'll know when you're driving it, there are these huge 
rock spires, which is one of the reasons this drive is so beautiful. I guess that's where they got the name, the needles, right? From these tall rock spires. Also beautiful forests. So it's absolutely a gorgeous scenic drive. And if you want to do that, make sure you do it between early April and mid-October because the rest of the time it's closed for the winter. That's right. And those dates are going to be dependent on weather. Sure. And then the other section of this Peter Norbeck Scenic Byway is the Iron Mountain Road. It's 17 miles. It has 14 switchbacks. Yeah, it's actually part of uh, Highway 16A, and it starts right at the east entrance of Custer State Park, and then it goes north up to Mount Rushmore. And, and along the way, it's like you said, it's it's windy and uh, beautiful. It also has a couple of uh, narrow tunnels. They're a little bit wider, 13 feet, two inches wide. Mm-hmm. And one of the cool things about this drive is there's a tunnel. And as you go through, if you're heading north, as you go through, you can see the faces on Mount Rushmore through the tunnel. So it's like this really cool view through the tunnel. This whole area, not just Custer State Park, but the whole Black Hills area, I would say, is very good for scenic car drives. Yes. Right? I mean, there's a lot of great views you can see and never get out of your vehicle if, if that's what you want to do. Right. Now, Iron Mountain Road, I couldn't find any dates about when or if it closes in the winter. It says it's not maintained in the winter. So that would be something to know. And I, I think they randomly close it if it gets too much snow. So if you happen to be there in the off season, you know, definitely check before you go to see what, what the uh, road conditions are. Good advice. So let's talk about the uh, northwestern part of the park, which the Needles Highway goes right past the the Sylvan Lake area. And so this beautiful lake, uh, there's a lodge there, Sylvan Lake Lodge, and it and it also has trailheads for some popular hikes in the in that area. Our favorite hike in the park is right there, Black Elk Peak. There is one big loop hike that you can start at different places. You can add on or take off things. The points of interest would be Black Elk Peak, Little Devil's Tower, and Cathedral Spires. So you could do all three. We've done all three. You could just do one out and back, but you need to get a map and look at the different parking areas. Um, We always do, I believe it's number nine up to Black Elk Peak, and we park right there at Sylvan Lake. That's right. And if you are searching Custer State Park and looking for Black Elk Peak, a couple of notes. Uh, You might see it referred to as Harney Peak, which is what its name used to be. It's been changed. Now it's Black Elk Peak, named in honor of a very famous Sioux medicine man and warrior. The peak itself is also not in the park. It's in the National Forest. So the trail, it starts in the park. Then you hike up, up to the, it's actually a fire tower lookout. One of the coolest fire tower lookouts we've ever seen. Oh, my gosh. It is made of stone. So all the ones in Washington here are made of of wood and steel. And we see this one. It is so cool with this long row of stone steps leading up to it. And then when you go inside, there are three different levels that you can you know, either go down into the basement level or you can go up into the second level with 360-degree views. Yeah, and up there, you're at 7,200 feet when you get to the the top, and Mm -hmm. it's uh, South Dakota's highest point. Yes. This is where you would see what, Karen? The Blue Hills from up there? This is where everything looks blue to me. Now, I think anyone who's been up there would agree. There's this gorgeous blue tint to the hills. Hills. (laughs) Anyway, so from there, we usually take a different trail, and we visit uh, Cathedral Spires and Little Devil's Tower, which is a very fun scramble, too. Uh, But once you get back to Sylvan Lake, there's an easy trail that goes right around the lakeshore. It's a beautiful lake, Mm -hmm. and people, uh, they fish in the lake. Uh, You'll see kayaks and uh, sometimes uh, stand-up paddle boards. Uh, So it's a a nice, easier recreation area, and pretty much anyone could do that. The hike around the lake in in terms of strenuousness. Yes, it's only it's a 1.1 mile loop around the lake. Yeah, and there's another hike that we like to do. We've done it, um, kind of done it one and a half times. The Sunday Gulch hike that starts at the dam side of Sylvan Lake. The last time we were there, it was closed. 
they close it in the winter, and I think they don't open it until around June 1st, so it kind of depends on when you're there. Now, the Sunday Gulch hike is about a four-mile loop with 800 feet elevation gain, so it's a little more strenuous than the Lakeshore Trail, but uh, it, that's a great hike as well. Yeah. All right, let's keep it moving. Uh, where to stay if you're going to visit Custer State Park? One place you might consider is the State Game Lodge. This was built in 1920, and it's right by the Visitor Center. That's right. Now, its claim to fame is that this was the summer White House of President Calvin Coolidge in 1927, and we've stayed there. I don't think we had the presidential suite. We did. <laughs> I, I know that we didn't have the presidential suite. Uh, yeah, it's funny when you read about Calvin Coolidge. He did not like people. He did not like doing his job. And he definitely didn't like reporters. So he goes to this area and he would fish all day. And I think he liked fishing, but he also liked making it harder for the reporters to find him and get close to him because they would have to wade out into the creeks or wherever to, to ask him questions. But anyway, yeah, he he hung out in Custer State Park so a, he lo was, a lot. He was a big fan, too. Yeah. That's that's right. <laughs> so yes, we we enjoyed our stay there. And as you mentioned, Matt, there's Sylvan Lake Lodge. And of course, we, we talked about Bluebell. Now, these places are all great if you are in Custer, and they have campgrounds too. The thing about these lodges, we found out, is that we've also stayed in some of the little towns around the park. And when you stay in the little towns, obviously, you can walk to different restaurants for dinner, you can walk to coffee in the morning or a bakery. When you're staying in these lodges, you have the lodge restaurant, unless you want to get in your car and drive somewhere else. And the towns are more touristy and, and a little bit more crowded. But again, you have like all the infrastructure, mm -hmm. right? So you right. might have 10 restaurants to choose from instead of, you know, just the lodges one. So, you know, that that's the trade-off. Yeah, it just depends what you like, obviously. Um, but the state game lodge was beautiful. I remember the grounds were very, you know, stately. They were stately. At, at yeah. state game lodge. And um, beautiful, very well taken care of. And the location in the park was great. And I remember doing a hike right out the back of the state state game lodge that that was nice so yes. so there's hiking in and around there we have also stayed in custer south dakota which is only about 15 minutes from that sylvan lake area mm -hmm. uh, and it's really well situated in terms of you know sylvan lake all the caves you know wind cave jewel cave mm -hmm. uh, mount rush marshes that's that's kind of a central location Right. And they have some of the chain hotels. They have the, you know, I think they have a Hampton and a Holiday Inn and all those. So if you're looking for that type of lodging, you can find that in the town of Custer. And I know, Matt, you love my you favorite, have to go favorite to store. Claw, Antler and Hide is there if you're looking for any... Um, any animal uh, hides or stuffed or, animals or, or parts or or parts tails Claws, tails antlers mm -hmm. uh, it's hence the name mm -hmm. you know have you noticed though I I don't buy anything anymore there it's because we already have all the we, animal parts we, we have could all ever the animal want. parts we need so that's Custer <laughs> South Dakota you know another place you could stay is Hill City and we've stayed there a couple of times love that too yes a little less touristy a little bit smaller. Mm -hmm. uh, we've we've stayed at the Trails End Cabins, uh, got to know the owners there. They were very nice. They have uh, since retired, and so it has a new owner. Right. We liked it a lot. Now, this is uh, this is like in a neighborhood. This isn't a cabin in the forest, so just, just note. It's, it's literally a block from town, and so we like to walk in because there's a few really great things in Hill City that we'll mention, one of them being the largest smoky bear statue in the world. It is. It's a big one, 30 feet tall, and he's sitting down. So it's it's still the largest, even though he's sitting down. And it's fun to get your picture taken by him mm -hmm. um, holding his paw. You could sit in his paw <laughs> if, if you wanted could. to. Yeah. Yes. And almost right across the street from Smokey is a really great place to have dinner, the Alpine Inn. What I love about this place is... If I had a restaurant, this is what I would do. Yes, you would. There's only one thing on the menu. What, filet mignon steak? Large and small. Right. Those are your choices. Well, there is there is one vegetarian option if you don't eat meat. You do have that. And I actually ordered that as a side order mm -hmm. to see what it was. And it was, it was steamed vegetables and I think some pasta. So it was great, too, if you're vegetarian or, or vegan. And they had drinks, of course. And not that this is super important, but 
you don't waste a lot of time. Like they literally are asking you large or small. Large or small steak. And with it comes a baked potato, a salad, and your favorite Texas toast. I love Texas toast. <laughs> That's kind of my version of a chuck wagon dinner. Just tell me it's Texas toast. Right. Even if it's normal toast, and I will like it more. You just like the name. Yes. But the thing is, they don't take reservations, and you'll always see people standing out on the front porch waiting to get in, and then then right when you go in, there's a bar, and people are waiting in the bar. But the thing is, they move people pretty quickly because everyone orders the same thing, and and they get it out to you really fast, so they're turning the tables over pretty quickly, Yeah, but you're not rushed. Oh, no, no, no. You don't have to get in and out if you want to sit there and and talk. That's perfectly fine. Yeah, we went there with John and Lolly, and we saw the big line out the door and thought it would take forever, and it really didn't. No, it didn't at all. So don't let the crowds or the line scare you if you're going to go to dinner there, because you probably get in faster than you think. Right. So this Alpine Inn, which also is an inn, I think, where people can stay, it was built in 1886, and even back then, this historic landmark had a reputation for fine dining, and it was the showplace of Hill City. I think it pretty much is still the showplace of Hill City. Right. Back in the 1880s, I mean, when they started finding gold in the Black Hills, civilization came pretty quick. And one of the things, which is pretty cool, another activity you can do is you can ride the 1880 train, and it goes from Hill City to Keystone and back. Keystone's another town right there in, in the Black Hills. This old historic train, we we did that with Bob and Sue. We did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's fun. I mean, it's yes. it's uh, if you don't want to hike that day or you have kids and you don't want to do a whole lot of walking, it's great to get on that historic train. They run about every two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. I thought that was very fun. And it gave us a chance when we got to Keystone, we had time before the train went back again. So we got out and explored the little town. Keystone is also a town you could stay in. That's actually very close to Mount Rushmore. Right. One more place we could mention as far as lodging is the big city of Rapid City, which is about 40 minutes away from Custer State Park. So if you want to plan a last-minute trip and all the lodging is taken, you could always stay in Rapid City, and they have a lot of hotels and such. But one place we haven't mentioned yet, uh, very famous historic place where they found gold is Deadwood, South Dakota. That's right. That's about an hour and a half from Custer, from the visitor center. So... Deadwood was the site of the last major gold rush in the U.S., and the discovery of gold there in 1875 led to the founding of Deadwood the following year, and it brought incredible wealth and notoriety to the area. So I don't know if people have watched the Deadwood series like we did, but just like they depicted in that series, Deadwood was a very rough and tumble mining camp where Wild Bill Hickok was killed and Calamity Jane became famous. Yeah, it's still a little rough, <laughs> uh, but it's built up and, and it's commercial because there's gambling there. And so that brings in a lot of tourists and, and people who want to gamble. And there's yes. a lot of, there's restaurants and, and bars and stuff. So it's got that vibe, which is perfectly fine. We've stayed there a couple of times, but but it's kind of like we can do Deadwood for about a half a day. Yes. I have mixed feelings about Deadwood because the one thing I love about it is they have done an incredible job of preserving the town and the buildings, and it's very cool to see. I imagine it looks very similar to what it looked like back in the late 1800s. What I don't like about Deadwood is every building practically has a casino, lots of kind of tacky tourist shops. I feel like, I'm not going to say they ruin the integrity of the town, but just know before you go and before you plan time there that that's kind of what it's like. Yeah, it's just, it's kind of not our thing. There's not a lot of outdoor stuff there. I think the best of all possible worlds is drive through it if you can, see the town, maybe get out for an hour and walk around and then head on to some other fun things. Okay, so those are some places to stay in and around the Custer State Park area and the center of the Black Hills. Let's talk about some of the other activities and places to see in the Black Hills. Do you want to uh, go to Mount Rushmore first? Yeah, let's go to Mount Rushmore National Memorial. I keep thinking it's National Monument, but it's National Memorial, and it's a National Park Service site. That's right. When I was a kid, 
that's the only thing I knew about the Black Hills was, uh, that's the only thing I'd ever heard of was Mount Rushmore because families used to take their kids up to see Mount Rushmore. Not my family, (laughs) (laughs) but other families. So in case you don't know what it is, it is a 60-foot high carving of the heads of four U.S. presidents. George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Theodore Roosevelt, and Abraham Lincoln. And these were carved from... About 1927 to 1941. So it took them a while. It did take them a while. Now, at the time, local Native Americans and environmentalists voiced their opposition to the project because they thought it was a desecration of Sioux heritage as well as this mountain, you know, this natural landscape. I think the Visitor Center does a good job in presenting all sides. They had a display in the Visitor Center where they address the history of the site, the controversy surrounding it, and what this area means to Native Americans, right? both back then and now. Right. But it is what it is, right? The mm-hmm. carvings are, are already there. Mm-hmm. Um, we're living in a different time. It is an interesting and meaningful place to go visit. It's part of our history, good, bad, or indifferent, right? Exactly. And we can all learn so much from what happened in the past, right? So we think it's definitely worth a stop. Now, it's not far from Custer or the Sylvan Lake area. And it's not probably not even a half day. Maybe it's by the time you get there, maybe it's an hour or two visit. Yeah. If, if you want to do a little bit of a hike, we did the presidential loop trail. That's about a mile total distance. Uh, it, it's, it's got a few stairs. It's got 130 feet of elevation change. I think it has a little bit more than that. Yeah. I uh, liked that, though, because it does take you away from the crowds. It does. I mean, there, yeah. there are other people on that trail with you, but it's it's less crowded. Overall, I think the Park Service has done the absolute best they can with that site. I thought it was beautiful. It's been through a lot of renovation over the last oh de- decade, and uh, it, and it has to uh, be able to accommodate a lot of people. I mean, this is this is an iconic place that a lot of people want to see, and I think they've set it up so that you can run a lot of people through it, and it doesn't feel too crowded. Right. They have a parking garage with different levels, so the parking is not difficult. They do have it running like clockwork. At least the I think three times we've been there. One thing I would say is uh, the last time we were there and we were buying something in the bookstore, incredible bookstore, the ranger told us, suggested that we should come back sometime in the evening and see it all lit up. And that's something we haven't done yet. That's right. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey, (sighs) well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Okay, so we need to keep going. Uh, Another place to see in the Black Hills is Wind Cave National Park, and this is adjacent to Custer State Park to the south. So the land, they actually abut, and you drive the road right through Custer State Park, right into Wind Cave National Park. That's right. And Wind Cave has a lot going for it because not only do they have their signature caves, they have a bison herd and they have some really great hiking trails. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people know about their hiking trails, um, but there are a few. And we did one where we got, gosh, we got back out into wilderness area, felt like we were all by ourselves. The bison herd kind of came through. While we were there, yeah, it was, it was beautiful. So the, it's not just a cave. There is hiking. Most people don't go to Wind Cave to hike. So we had the trail completely to ourselves, which was cool, too. Now, as far as the cave tours go, you want to buy your tickets ahead of time uh, because they sell out well in advance during the busy season, which is yeah, what? Yeah, generally March through October, they, right. s- they say. Mm-hmm. So you can buy them three to 120 days before the tour, and then any that are left over, they will be available for sale on a first-come, first-serve basis at How- the visitor center. Yeah, however, we've been there in, in the busy season, and they go fast. So get them ahead of time. Now, there are several different tours you can do. I know we did the natural entrance tour. We loved that. It was about an hour and 15 minutes, two-thirds of a mile. But you do have to descend, what, about 300 stairs? Yeah, it's it's considered moderate. Mm-hmm. One of the things this cave is known for, it seems like the caves all have their different special features. This one is known for its box work. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, that's, yeah. I guess I'm more excited about cave box uh-huh, work than you yeah. are. <laughs> you, you, can just, you can just talk about that. Okay. Well, one thing I do want to talk about is it has such a great history. You know, the Native Americans, of course, had been coming, had been living in this area for centuries, and it, it was long considered sacred to Native Americans. But the cave was discovered by non-Native people back in 1881, when the Bingham brothers were drawn to a small hole in the ground, because there was like this loud whistling noise, and it was windy. And the wind that's blowing in and out of the cave is caused by a difference in air pressure. And that's how the cave got its name. Yes. And and I should point this out. Not only does air come out of the hole, that is the opening or exit to the cave. uh, That's when the pressure inside the cave is greater than outside. But sometimes the pressure is lower inside the cave and that hole turns into a suck hole. A suck hole. strong of a suck hole, Matt? Are we talking like it could suck somebody? <laughs> I don't know, but I just wanted to be able to um, say suck hole in, uh, one, in yeah. one of our episodes. <laughs> and you got it in. It only took three yes, years. And, and use the term appropriately. Right. So that was 1881. And soon word got out and people started coming to visit the cave. So in 1903, President Theodore Roosevelt declared the area a national park and Wind Cave became our seventh national park and the first national park in the world that was created specifically to protect a cave. <laughs> da, 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 da. Th- okay. Thank you for that no. uh, history channel. <laughs> okay, I'm not quite done yet because what I think is even more interesting is how the bison got there. And In the cave? They found bison <laughs> in the cave, Karen? No, to the park. Because this is kind of the story, one of the stories of how the bison were saved in North America from becoming extinct. So I'll try to do this quickly. Could but you tell us all about this? I can, because right. it's so interesting. So... In 1800, it was estimated that there were about 40 million bison in the U.S., but by 1890, the number was reduced to only about 500 bison were left. That's it. What happened next, Okay, (laughs) Thank you. So in 1905, 16 people assembled at the New York Zoological Gardens And this organization became known as the American Bison Society, and their goal was to preserve and save the American buffalo. And you know who was among its founders? Take a guess. I bet Teddy Roosevelt (laughs) was one of those founders. You're so smart. Thank you. So here's where Wind Cave comes in. In 1913, this American Bison Society sent 14 bison from the New York Zoological Gardens to Wind Cave. They sent seven males and seven females, and they individually crated and placed them on two new steel express cars and shipped them by rail to Hot Springs, South Dakota, at a cost of $850. Which was a lot back then. Hey, for eight hundred and fifty bucks, I they can send fourteen bison <laughs> to our house. And then the crates, once once the crates got to Hot Springs, then they were lashed and chained to wagons, horse-drawn wagons provided by the citizens of Hot Springs, and the bison were taken to the park. I was reading about this, and it said that when they opened the crates in the park, they had a hard time getting the bison to leave because the way they opened the crates, the bison then had to back out, and apparently bison don't like to do that. They don't like backing up. They don't like backing up. So then they had to, instead of having the bison leave the crate, they had to have the crates leave the bison. So they pretty much had to dismantle the crate around the bison. Yeah, and then they brought uh, a few more in. In 1916, they brought six additional bison from Yellowstone National Park. And this is where the the bison in Wind Cave National Park, these are now the descendants of that original group. Right. Isn't that the coolest thing? It is. It's so cool. It's it's part of the story of how the bison were saved, and it all happened at Wind Cave National Park. Just an incredible park, like I said, that has so much going for it. Yeah. And I think over the years, as the herd grows... Again, they, they have to call them so that, you know, they don't overrun their resources. And when they do that, then a lot of times those bison then get sent to other areas, other parks, right. uh, Native American lands. And so, yeah, it, it really is a, a great story how 
they set up these places early in the 20th century to start these herds and, and get the population back up. Right. And I think I was trying to find how many bison currently are at Wind Cave, and the number fluctuates quite a bit. I read anywhere from 200 to 400 um, bison are there. So, Okay. Hey, do you want to talk about another cave? Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's do it. Okay, just to the west of Custer, both Custer State Park and the town of Custer, is Jewel Cave National Monument. Karen, I heard it's the third longest cave in the world. Is that is that true? That is true. And Matt, guess what? I have a pop quiz for you that I didn't put on the outline because I didn't want you to cheat. <laughs> okay. Are you ready? Okay, Jewel Cave is the yes. third the third longest cave in the world. What's the first longest cave? The first longest cave is it's either Wind Cave or Mammoth. Um, Final answer. I think it's Mammoth. Mammoth Cave. Ding, ding, ding. You are correct. Mammoth Cave in Kentucky is the longest cave in the world. See, I've been paying attention to your podcast. I know you have. You secretly love caves as much as I do. Mm, Yep. Okay. (laughs) This cave was discovered in 1900 by the Michaud brothers, and they filed a mining claim so that they would actually own it, right? They described the entrance as this hole in the ground that was too small for human entry with a blast of cold air coming out. So they enlarged the hole with dynamite. They entered the cave, and they discovered crawlways and low ceiling rooms coated with these beautiful calcite crystals that sparkled like jewels in the lantern light and that's how it got its name jewel cave and we toured jewel cave not too long ago just Mm -hmm. a few months ago and i i will say that it is it is pretty spectacular inside where these deposits have formed i I know i joke about caves a lot but yes you know know, for small periods of time They're great to go in. So I wasn't quite done with with the little history part of this. All right. I didn't Um, hear the music. Yeah. So the Michaud brothers constructed a trail in the cave. They built a lodge up on the rim of Hell Canyon right up there. And they even organized the Jewel Cave Dancing Club in 1902 to attract tourists. However... There was a lack of people at the time in this region, and the difficulty of travel at the time made their little business enterprise flop. But soon after that, there was a local movement to set Jewel Cave aside for protection. And guess who? President Theodore Roosevelt um, declared it a national monument in 1908, and the Michaud brothers sold the claim to the government for $750. And then they could buy some bison with that 750 yeah. <laughs> They could buy some bison from New York City. That's right. <laughs> and you like it because after that, the area around the natural ent- entrance was developed by the CCC in the 1930s. So it has that kind of um, CCC look to it. I'm not allowed to talk during history <laughs> channels, so just <laughs> All right, I, let me know I, I when you're finish. finished. And the National Park Service didn't assume management of the monument until 1933, and they started offering tours in 1939. But here's what I thought was really interesting. Currently, there are over 210 miles of cave passages that have been mapped, but that accounts for less than 5% of the entire expanse of Jewel Cave. So now, and we learned this on the tour, Cave exploration continues through the efforts of volunteers and park staff. So I think we could we could go and join this group. You can spend up to four days and three nights inside the cave exploring and mapping some of this uncharted area, which is one of the final frontiers on Earth. Have I sold you? Did you say mapping or napping? I'm not staying in a cave for four days and three nights <laughs> mapping. So they we got volunteers mapping this area out. Yes, we could be a volunteer. No, I'm, I'm not doing that. I can do caves for like two hours. Two hours is the limit. <laughs> Which is what we did. I think we did the scenic cave tour. And what they told us, and this hadn't quite clicked into my brain. They were talking about these volunteers who come in. But of course, the trail system that we walk on during the tour and all the stairs going up and down, those aren't in place in the unmapped areas, right? So you're literally crawling in the dark you're, over you're, boulders. You're scrambling. You're scrambling because right. the, if you look at the rest of the cave, it's just a jumble of boulders. No, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I, I will be in Deadwood at the slot machines 
or I'll learn how to count cards. You, when you're done, come and find me. Okay. Will do. Anybody out there who wants to go caving with me, uh, send me an email, mattandkarensmith at gmail.com. So anyway, check out the cave tours. The descriptions, then the times are available on the website. Again, these sell out in advance. So get your tickets ahead of time. Unfortunately, those are the only caves in and around the area. <laughs> so we're going to move on to more stuff that's above ground. Like the Crazy Horse Memorial, which is a monument under construction on private land about 15 minutes north of Custer. And when it's finished, it will depict the Lakota warrior Crazy Horse riding a horse and pointing to his tribal land. And then it will be 560 feet tall, which would make it the tallest sculpture in the world. One of the things I thought was really interesting there was the Native American Museum. I agree. What they've done is they have taken lots of different tribes. And I'm sure that they probably don't represent every single tribe in America. That, that would be too exhaustive. But it's quite a few. And they have artifacts and artwork and uh, interpretive displays for each of those tribes. So in one place, in one area... You can, you know, compare and contrast and see the differences between these tribes. I thought that was pretty interesting. I thought it was fascinating. I loved seeing the museum. Now, to visit Crazy Horse, um, it does cost to get in, and you pay per vehicle. So the cost is going to range from about $12 to $35, depending on how many people you have in your car and also what season you're visiting, and it's a little more expensive in the summer. And then once you... Once you get to their visitor center museum, you're looking at the Crazy Horse Memorial from pretty far away. Yeah, I mean it. It is good to be a little bit far away in order to see the see the perspective and then then see what the idea is for the entire sculpture. Right, you get that perspective, but yeah, you're not getting the same kind of up close view that you might with uh, Mount Rushmore. Right. It does say on their website that you can pay a, an additional fee. It was the time I saw it was $4 per person. And you can ride a bus to the base of the mountain if you want to. We didn't do that. So I'm not exactly sure. Uh, we don't have any really more details on whether that's worth it or not. That's right. Okay, Karen. So here's the big question. Mm -hmm. Will it ever be finished? I have my own opinion. I, I don't think there's much of an intention to finish this sculpture. Well, yeah, that's a really good question. The sculptor, um, whose name, if I don't butcher this, was Korzak Zielkowski. He worked on it from 1947 until his death in 1982 at the age of 74. Yeah, so I think things have progressed slowly since then. I don't know if they're having trouble finding a, a sculptor who can finish it. It does say on the website that the next phases of sculpting include completing Crazy Horse's left hand, his left forearm, his right shoulder, and part of the horse's, he's on a horse, part of the horse's mane and head. So it says they are working on it. And maybe they are. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's, yes. Uh, we've, we've seen it probably over the course of a decade, and uh, I think the same bulldozer is sitting in the same spot it was 10 years ago but i don't think that diminishes what they were what the original idea and what they intended but yeah i, I don't think it's going to be finished anytime soon no i don't think it is i would love to go to their volks march celebration that they have twice a year there that it's in uh, june and october right and you can uh when they open the trail up to the public and, and you have to pay there's an entrance fee you can hike to right at the base of his face, right? And you can, so you can do this twice a year and usually the October or maybe always the October Volksmarch is the Sunday of the bison roundup at Custer State Park. So you got all these people coming in for the Buffalo roundup mm -hmm. and then you're, you're there, you can do this uh, event on Sunday. So yeah, that, that would be fun to do. I, I would like to get right up to the face. I mean, it's it's an impressive sculpture. Oh, it's incredible. Yes, I think that would be amazing to do. Okay, so that's the Crazy Horse Memorial. You know, there's another place that you'll see in guides and people talk about, which is Spearfish Canyon. And this is a scenic byway. It's 19 miles long. It runs northwest out of Custer State Park. It's actually Highway 14A. And that's a that's a pretty drive. We've mm -hmm. done this a couple of times. However, the last time we were there, we noticed there's a lot of tree damage. 
We found out that in 2020, several tornadoes swept through the area, and the damage is pretty severe. Right. It must have been some incredible storm. Now, there are some scenic waterfalls along Spearfish Canyon. I know we stopped and, and got out and looked at one that was really pretty. So that's a nice drive if you've got the time to add on. And a couple more add-ons we'll mention. Also close by is Bear Butte State Park. I loved that little park. Yeah, and it has a great hike. You can hike up uh, to the top of Bear Butte. It's, that's about a three-mile round trip, 1,000 feet of elevation gain. It's it's a pretty tough hike. Yes, it was not easy, but the views from the top are incredible. And we had found out there's a nice little, um, I wouldn't call it really a visitor center, but there's um, more like a gift shop, I guess, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and we found out uh, from the gentleman who was working there that there was a time in history in 1857 where all kinds of famous uh, Native American leaders gathered there up at Bear Butte, including Red Cloud and Crazy Horse and Sitting Bull. They were all there. They were discussing the advancement of white settlers into the Black Hills. And as we hiked up to the summit, I just kept thinking that we were walking in their footsteps. That Bear Butte is one of the sacred mountains of Native Americans. You know, there's few others in the area. Devil's Tower is one, that Black Elk Peak. Uh, hike that we talked about. That's another, um, I don't know off the top of my head, all, all of the ones that are sacred. And and so when you hike up Bear Butte, you'll see uh, prayer offerings, like they'll tie cloth to trees and, and leave like satchels of things. It's got a lot of sacred meaning to Native Americans. It does. And they do ask that you not photograph their prayer flags and, and prayer bundles. You know, when we hiked up um, Bear Butte, we just simply turned our phones off. We did not take any pictures. It just didn't seem, I don't know, it just didn't seem appropriate. Uh, just keep that in mind when you're visiting some of these sacred uh, Native American sites. Yeah, but the trails, uh, it, it's good workout, great views at the top. And also this park they have a herd of bison, Karen. The tiniest little herd. We could actually have that herd in our backyard. Yeah, they have they have nine bison. Yes. Two of them are male. And as the ranger told us, one of the males no longer can make babies. No longer can or is no longer interested. I don't know. Why are you asking me? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they just have a, a small little herd there. Yeah, it's very sweet, and you'll you'll most likely see it when you drive up because there's not a lot of uh, not a lot of ground for them to spread out in, and it does cost eight dollars per vehicle to visit Bear Butte State Park. Okay, let's keep going. The there's another side trip to the west. You could go to Devil's Tower National Monument, the the country's first ever national monument. This is about two hours west of the town of Custer. And really, it is a must-see natural wonder. It is. Now, this is in the state of Wyoming, so you're going to cross over the state line. Uh, it became a national monument in 1906, thanks again to Teddy Roosevelt. Um, it's not a large park. It's only about 1,300 acres. But then you have this 867-foot rock tower that rises up from the landscape, and it is really spectacular to see. Devil's Tower is good for, I would say, at least a half a day because there are a couple of hikes that you can hike around the tower. Yeah, the closest trail to the tower is Devil's Tower Trail. Mm -hmm. It's about 1.7 miles loop, um, 167 feet elevation gain. And that's paved. It's paved. Mm -hmm. It's the easier one. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's cool because it goes all the way around the, the structure. But if you move kind of out a little bit there's the red beds trail it also circles the tower it's 2.8 miles about 440 feet elevation gain much fewer people yes on that it is not paved it is not wheelchair accessible no um so and a little bit more elevation it's got a lot of up and down you're continually going down then up then down then up but what i loved about that is depending on which side of devil's tower you're on it looks different it, it has a different right. shape depending on where you're looking at it from not a lot of lodging options close by but we've heard good things about the devil's tower koa campground it's open from uh, about mid-May through mid-October, and it it does sit in the shadow of Devil's Tower. They have nightly hayride, and they show the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which was filmed on site in 1976. I know. Doesn't that sound like a lot of fun? I guess there you can camp, or they have 
cabins and teepees to rent. Also, I saw on their website that they have a pool and they have miniature golf. So it seems like it would be fun for families. Yeah. I don't know, maybe fun for us too. So obviously, a lot of people who are in the Black Hills want to make a trip to Badlands National Park, and we would highly encourage everybody to see Badlands. Now, it's not as close as as you might think. If you're staying inside Custer State Park, like if you're at the State Game Lodge, winding through those roads and getting over to the visitor center in Badlands, it's going to take you, what, two hours each yeah, way. And, and that's no traffic. So if, right. you, if you hit any kind of traffic, you're, mm-hmm. you're talking about two and a half to three to three hours so it's it's kind of a haul i suggest that if you're gonna do that you, you might as well just stay over there yes um, the visitor center on the east side of the park the ben rifle visitor center there's a lodge real close to that it's it's called the cedar pass lodge it has a bunch of cabins mm-hmm. and these are newer cabins yes they were beautiful yeah they were they were put there in 2013 they replaced the original cabin so the the Cedar Pass Lodge has been there for a while. Uh, So we've stayed in those cabins, and then you're just right there in the park. It's fantastic because, gosh, waking up, uh, you know, with the sunrise and stepping out from your little cabin and seeing the sunrise over the Badlands was incredible. And then, of course, you're there late at night, too. Um, And one of our favorite things is to drive through the park and go to some of those scenic overlooks and watch the sunset. That's right. So a couple of the things about the cabins you should know. No pets are allowed in the cabins, and they're not open all year round. So for instance, this year, 2022, the season was is April 23rd through October 23rd. Just know it's, it's not open in the winter. And uh, reservations for 2023 start in November. Right. Now, we did an entire episode on the Badlands, episode number 45. So if you want more information about all the things to do, like the trails that we liked and and some of our favorite overlooks and where to see the wildlife, check out episode 45, because unfortunately, we don't have time to go into um, an overview of the Badlands right now. Yeah, but one other thing, uh, if you're going to visit the Badlands, you might also consider staying at Wall in in the town of Wall, South Dakota. Uh, There's some motels there. We've done that it's great because uh, the cedar pass lodge may be full yes wall drug <laughs> is an institution it's been there forever so in the 1930s the husteads purchased a drugstore in the tiny town of wall right in the midst of the great depression and they started advertising free ice water on billboards along i-90 and now gosh what is it 90 some years later it's expanded to fifty thousand square feet yeah it's a big one it's massive. They just they have expanded into an entire city block. And it seems like people either love wall drug or they hate wall drug. <laughs> I love wall drug. I, I can do it for maybe an hour and a half uh-huh. at the most. I mean it has donuts. So that's why you love it. That's that sweetens the pot. Yes. Literally. And their free ice water and their five cent coffee. But it's kind of like going to an amusement park. They have this huge dinosaur that's um what animatronic animatronic (laughs) dinosaur they have all kinds of souvenirs for sale they have a boot store and a cowboy hat store and all kinds of stuff it's just you move from one shopping area to the next and they do have a restaurant if you want to have lunch or dinner so uh lots to do there and we think it's just a really fun place to stop and just check out all the all the offerings and there are some places to eat uh across the street from there and in and around I, i think they close pretty early. It seems like the wall drug closes at like five o'clock at, yeah. at night. They might uh, not be open for dinner, right? It is also a practical drugstore. Like right in the middle, there's an actual drugstore. So if you're traveling in the area and you need a drugstore to pick something up, you can go there. One last thing to mention over there by the Badlands, um, you should... If you have a little bit of time left, visit the Minuteman Missile National Historic Site. And this is right at I-90. If you're driving north out of the Badlands National Park on the the east side of the park, where you hit I-90, that's where the visitor center is. And it was quite an education. Uh, So this site, during the Cold War, a vast arsenal of nuclear missiles were placed in the Great Plains. Uh, They were hidden in plain sight for 30 years, and a 1,000 missiles were kept on constant alert. And now today, there are still hundreds of them out there. 
Right. So if you're short on time, at least go to the visitor center and watch the movie that they have, the documentary. Mm, yes. I, I don't know. It's maybe 20, 25 minutes long. I, maybe a little bit longer than that. But that's a very educational. And they closed the tours of... There are a couple of missile silos that they would give tours of. They closed those for COVID. Now they're doing some renovations. So there's like modified tours available. You just have to check the website. Uh, but it would be cool to go out then to see one of these silos. It would, for sure. It was it was a lot more interesting than I thought it would be. Beautiful new facility. So if you have time, it wouldn't take long, uh, less than an hour when you're visiting Badlands to pop in there, watch the movie, and, and check out this National Park Service site. Okay. So wrapping up, one other question, Karen, I have mm-hmm. for you, which I have seen in the news over the last few years and I think is super interesting. The whole Black Hills... There's controversy as to who really still owns the Black Hills. And this is one of the things that makes this area to me so fascinating because you have so much Native American history there and the history of the conflict within the white settlers who came in. But what happened was back in 1868, there was the Treaty of Fort Laramie where the U.S. government established the Great Sioux Reservation. And this was a huge portion of the western half of what is now South Dakota, including the Black Hills. It was to be a 35 million acre permanent home for the Sioux Nation. Right. So the U.S. government made a deal. Yes. Back in 1868, saying to the Sioux Nation, this is your land. Mm -hmm. And in return, please be peaceful to Mm -hmm. the white settlers coming through. The, The problem with this, though, is less than a decade later, gold was found in the Black Hills and white settlers rushed in and towns sprang up. And then in 1877, under Grant's administration, the government reneged on the agreement, redrawing the boundaries of the treaty. The Black Hills were then seized, and eventually the Indians were forcibly removed. So, you know, to this day, the ownership of the Black Hills remains the subject of a legal dispute between the U.S. government and the Sioux Nation about who really owns the land. And interestingly enough, in 1980, so this went all the way to the Supreme Court. And what the Supreme Court ruled in 1980 was the Supreme Court basically ruled that what the U.S. government did, the Sioux Nation is due compensation for taking that land. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think they came out and said that the land should be uh, belong to the Sioux. And they ordered uh, reparations, monetary reparations for this, plus interest. But the Sioux people have refused to take compensation. They, right. they don't they don't want compensation. They want the land back. The court originally awarded the tribe one hundred and two million dollars. But with the accumulated interest, it comes to nearly two billion dollars today. It will be interesting to see what, if anything, happens in regard to the public lands in the Black Hills. For instance, there have been recent bills introduced in the South Dakota government to change the name of Custer State Park to drop Custer off of it. And, you know, maybe down the road, the National Park Service will co-manage more of these parks with the indigenous tribes. You know, in Badlands National Park, the south unit of the park is entirely on a tribal land trust. And the Badlands website says... Despite the violations, the treaty remains law and federal agencies have a responsibility to faithfully collaborate with indigenous nations in ways that support these treaty obligations. So stay tuned. So, yeah, there you go. Okay, Karen. When is the best time to visit the Black Hills? Well, a lot of people go in the summertime with their kids because this is a great area for kids. Not just all the stuff that we talked about, but in the cute little towns, there are also things like miniature golf and, you know, go-kart rides and stuff like that for kids. So great time to visit. However, we were there in July and it was hot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it can it can be hot and um, it, it can be crowded, although it's, it's a spread out place. So it can mm-hmm. accommodate a lot of people. 
Yes, I'd say if you can swing it, if you don't have kids with you who are in in school, go in September because weather's going to be better. The road, the Needles Highway is still going to be open. Also, um, May would be good for that as well. So if you can go in the spring or the fall, you know, you wouldn't have the heat of the summer to deal with. And of course, the Buffalo Roundup and typically end of September every year. Mm -hmm. That would be a great time to go. I I think so. Not not everybody loves to go, you know, to a festival with 20,000 people, but I think it would be cool to see. Yeah. Yes. So how long should people plan their trip? Wow, well, you could you could spend a lot of days. Yes. There's there's a lot to do. Um, I mean, you could spend a week. You could spend a week vacation with the kids in the Black Hills easily, and do something different every day. Yes, I'd say spend as long as your vacation allows because you can easily fill it, especially if you want to hike. Because then there are you know days you can fill with hiking. Um, so yeah, at, at least you know a week is great, uh, and you won't be sorry because there are so many incredible things to do. That's right. Well, look at the time. We almost kept it to an hour, Matt. I should have taken that bet. Yeah, that's surprising given the multiple History (laughs) Channel episodes. (laughs) Anyway, thanks for hanging out with us today. We really appreciate each and every one of you. And thanks to all of you who've signed up for our Patreon account and are supporting this podcast. We'll have some bonus content coming your way from our upcoming Arizona and Utah trip. And if you'd like to see photos and videos from some of the places we talk about in our episodes, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Matt and Karen Smith. That's all from us today. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode.